Hello, and welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio show podcast. Uh, today, we're talking with Darren Ferreira about recruiting in the biopharmaceutical industry. Uh, Darren is from Roche, uh, one of the largest and most successful organizations in the world. Uh, it's a great interview. I highly recommend you stay tuned until the end. If you are a PhD and you want to learn more about transitioning into industry, as always, you can go to phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. And we will send you all of our information uh, for you about our complete job search blueprint that's specific for PhDs, as well as our PhD-only job referral network, the largest network of its kind in the world. We have helped thousands and thousands of PhDs get hired into top jobs worldwide. Uh, so without for any further ado, we will go to Darren here, but I do want to remind you too that you can have all of these podcasts sent to you by email by signing up on our homepage at CheekyScientist.com. You can also go to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast so that these podcasts are sent to you weekly. So now we're going to jump in with Darren and talk about recruiting in the biopharmaceutical industry. Uh, very excited to have Darren on today. He is a talent uh, acquisition specialist with more than 15 years of experience in recruiting for large pharmaceutical companies. Uh, he has an academic background in political sciences. He has worked in companies like Johnson & Johnson and Roche. Um, perhaps you've heard of them as a senior talent consultant and recruiter. Uh, currently, Darren works as an R&D talent acquisition uh, specialist for Roche in Switzerland. And I've actually been to that facility in Roche in Switzerland. So uh, great to have Darren on. Da Darren, thank you for being with us. My pleasure. And that was the, the best to-the-point bio I think we've ever had. And uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously, you have lots of experience. You've worked with some of the biggest country, uh, companies in, in the world and still do. Uh, you know, our audience today, our PhDs who want to make that transition out of academia into a non-academic career, into a, what we call an industry career, um, such as a job at Johnson & Johnson, Roche, etc. And we'd like to kind of start with, you know, maybe... Just very basically, maybe you can walk us through what the recruiting and hiring process is like at a large company like Johnson & Johnson or Roche. Just give us some, some framework to start with, and then we'll dig in a little deep, bit deeper. So su surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, um, most large pharma um, or most large companies in general uh, work through the, the um, uh, application management systems. So these are the Online portals, uh, we use a, a company called Taleo is one. There's uh, other ones called Brass Ring or Workday, et cetera. But these are the applicant tracking systems that we use. And so for us, it's Taleo. Johnson Johnson was Taleo as well, where you would apply to a position and then your CV and profile go into the portal for that role, uh, at which point the recruiter who is assigned to that function would have access to see your CV and profile, um, upload your cover letter, your accommodations, all that kind of stuff. Um, if you're selected in that process, and and you know, against the the common myths, uh, there is somebody looking at your CV. It's not a robot um, or a bot or anything <laughs> that you might hear. Um, at least I can only speak for for Roche. That does not happen. And uh, it's, it's reviewed by this recruiter who then, I guess we would call it pre-screen, and then shares it with the hiring manager in a short list. Um, and that short list is just really, I don't know, it could be 5, 10, 20 uh, candidates that meet and match the profile uh, within reason. And, of course, there is a certain 
um, independent variants that can go on with uh, each recruiter. And then as you move through that process, if the hiring manager deems that your CV is appropriate in their eyes as well, then it's shared. Uh, sorry, then, then we move forward and the recruiter would then uh, meet with the hiring manager to assess what's the next steps, where for us, it's more of the uh, telephone conversation or, or a VC, depending on the location, uh, to assess communi- communication style or uh, for Roche, for the most part, it's scientific pedigree mm. or abilities. And if that goes well and there's a good alignment, then we would... Uh, bring them in for a face-to-face interview, and moving forward, if they do well, moves into the offer process where the recruiter would really be engaged, uh, not only just from an interview standpoint, but in the offer management process as well. And that's that's a, a helpful overview. And one thing I want to dig into, I'm going to go a little bit off script because it's yep. fascinating to me. We've, you know, we've done uh, many, many interviews with recruiters, hiring managers, and so forth. And we always tend to get a, a little bit of a different story in terms of what you said are the myths. And a lot of companies, you know, um, resumes go into the system. Some of them get looked at, some of them don't. They have, obviously, those identifiers to put people at the top of the list, a ranking. Uh, other people have come on, um, especially in talent acquisition, I think. It's a, it's a slightly different role than a recruiter from what we found. And we can talk more about that later. Um, I'll say that they, you know, go through thoroughly go through the resumes. So maybe we can expand a little bit and, and first kind of clarify your role as a, you know, as in talent acquisition versus a hiring manager, you know, somebody in HR, recruiter. What's kind of the the interaction there, and especially in terms of resumes. Um. So, okay, I'll start with this. So my. Okay, my role is the head of talent acquisition, and that's just the new, if you want to call it the buzzword, Um, recruiting, staffing, uh, whatever we used to call it, attraction, sourcing, and hiring. Talent acquisition is just the the common one. But So I lead a group of um, five recruiters across the R&D space within Roche. Um, That's the early early phase uh, development and the late phase development. And this is just for the, sorry to jump in. This is just for the, the Switzerland location? Correct. So for R&D. R&D for Switzerland. Okay. Um, and, you know, we're a pretty large company, over 100,000. So <laughs> yeah. um, I'm surprised we can even do it with that amount. <laughs> so exactly. um, and well, but, on that note, real quick, last time I'll jump in like this. Sorry. Yeah. How many resumes would you say come in per position? Like on average? On average? That's a good one. On just your average? Location. For science profiles, I would say like PhD focused profiles. Um, depending on if it, if it's like a scientist, senior scientist level, around hundred on average. Okay. And, and how long do those do those come in? Like within a week of the job posting or a month? Uh, yeah, of course. The the the, the beginning is the the, the peak. Okay. So you'd probably say more than more than half come in within the first week to week and a half. Perfect. Um, and a lot of it is due to the fact that people who want to work with Roche put their profiles in a, in the identifier. So it's an alert system. Hmm. Um, and then they would just, of course, uh, attach their or say yes, and then they would apply to, to the role if it meets within a certain framework. So um, it's it's not like heavy constantly. 
um, throughout the process. And then it kind of tapers off after two to three weeks. Yes. Great. And then this is fascinating. And once, and once they come in, you know, you said for, and for those of you listening, this is, this is really good, right? Data. <laughs> um, if it, if you get a hundred that come in, obviously, I mean, it would make sense. There's gotta be some sort of ranking, right? Some maybe in the applicant tracking automatically, like, are there some sort of things, you don't obviously don't tell us what, the, what they are, but are there keywords or things that allow you guys to prioritize which resumes you looked at, look at first? No, the, the, the short answer is there's no uh, specific identifiers apart from if I'm looking for a scientist in an area of DMPK or, I don't know, process chemistry or something like that, then based off of the job profile, I'm looking at each CV as I open them and making sure that certain, maybe there are certain keywords that would help me identify, but it's it's not overall it's specific to the role itself um so sometimes people want to put these like buzzwords in a little bit of paragraph to, to identify all the skills and 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 that the rule of thumb for that in the past was because a computer was screening and would pull them up yes um there is a thing called boolean logic which we could search for mm. but it's not at least i wouldn't say it's commonly used um, in that manner, we don't just have a talent pool of 10 million CVs or whatever it is, and then just do a search because you would still pull up 100,000 per per role. So it wouldn't really make sense. But there are search um, functions. Like exactly. That. And so just so, for those of you listening by Boolean, it just means you could say, you know, I'm looking for this keyword and this or, or this or not this, that kind of stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so this is, this is great. And again, it's kind of a, a trend that uh, we've seen from talking to you know various uh, talent acquisition specialists, recruiters, is that you're you're basically you're segmenting the search a bit more. So you said in the past there would be more of these large scale applicant tracking software, uh, you know, I guess logic or whatever you put into it. But now you know you're. They, I think I would say that. House. The yeah, the difference is for us is that's one of the hallmarks of Roche. And now I can't say that. Every single CV in, in the database is screened. No, because if there's 200, 300 CVs and we already got, I don't know, five to 10 that we feel strongly about, then we're uh, going to go forward. But at the same time, to get to those 10, yeah. we have to go through those. It's not like first come, first serve. Right. Uh, you could probably see that most of our positions um, are left open for quite some time. Now, some people might be frustrated to say, mm -hmm. and we also put our contact information, and so uh, candidates would reach out to us, and this is more of a Swiss practice rather than, I don't know where else in the world, but um, so we're generally available. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a call center, but my phone rings <laughs> quite a lot, and uh, I, I answer and I say, are you able to apply still? And I say, well, actually, the position just went into um, the you know selection for interview stage so i would encourage you to apply and put yourself into the system for future openings but i wouldn't want you to you know be you know wouldn't want to misrepresent our process and have you waste your time mm. in the thought especially as you know it takes a lot of effort to put in a cv and, and a cover letter and all that so we're yeah. quite i think we're quite fair in the process but that's why we also don't close the job after 
you know, one week. No, this is great. And so I want to touch on just a couple more things and, and we'll get back to the, uh, right. the base questions, but so, you, and I think this is important for the attendees. There is a number that you're looking for, right? Cause resumes will keep coming through. You said about, you know, five to 10. Uh, so, you know, getting those resumes in, in a timely matter is important. We'll come back to things like referrals and, and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm curious for someone who's, you know, done this for a, a long time, very knowledgeable, you know, an expert such as yourself and looking at resumes, how quickly are you able to go through a resume and identify whether or not the candidate's qualified for a certain position? Um, without sounding arrogant, pretty fast. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, so like, are we talking, we're talking like in a five to 10 seconds, I'm guessing, based on the data. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would say that anybody who does something and has screened mm. tens, 100,000 CVs, you start picking up really quickly patterns. Mm. Now, I am not a scientist, a political scientist, but not uh, a trained PhD, which we do have some of them on staff um, working in talent acquisition. But I've just been doing it a long, long time now and pretty much can tell how a person represents themselves um, or are they just trying to, you know, play up, uh, kind of throw something up against the wall and see if it sticks. Hmm. Um, you're, you're exactly right. Sometimes on a CV, you can tell there's not a lot of substance because if a person is deviating on skill sets and not talking about what they did, eh, usually it's more that they've seen it, they've touched it once, but they're not an expert, as, a, as an example. Hmm. Uh, so, but there are positions that you don't have to be an expert. It's just, you know, I would say that for every role that you apply for, make sure your CV justifies why you're applying justify so the reason so the reason why and, and and maybe we can stay on that for a second so let's go back to your example of a senior scientist role you have resumes that come in and maybe the best way to ask this is you know what are some of the best resumes you've seen where it was very clear from the beginning right away you knew they were qualified for that like was it really hitting on the results or is it more of the in-depth language the kind of words that they used that were relevant to the position the reason why they were applying Anything on that? I mean, some of it. I mean, it's a great question, and I don't, I don't want to say something empirical. Like it's, you know, this is the exact way it happens. Sure. Every time. Um, I would say that a bit of a, a bit of a lot of things. And so, what I mean by that is this: there is a bit of pedigree, um, uh, you know, where they went to school. There is, um, if you did a postdoc, clearly describing your postdoc. Um, which lab you were in and what your value to that postdoc was. Um, clearly marked publications, uh, first or last author, or even in the middle of the pack, but clearly showing your publications, uh, um, your abstracts, your presentations, your authorship, your, um, you know, uh, patents, inventions, whatever it is, clearly show that so that a person sees, you know, a recruiter or a talent acquisition specialist would see that. Um, and then, you know, a little bit of the motivation, you know, at, at the top, you know, I know it's just a few words, but I can't tell you how many times where you can tell a person was applying originally for one role mm. and then they just added that CV. <sighs> so they didn't target it. This is important. So, this, so for those of you listening and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Darren, you're saying they didn't target it from the beginning for this position. They kind of just reworked. Yep. CV and made it more 
general or like exactly a general CV instead of a a targeted CV where they're showing, especially through a cover letter where you're really showing um, the work you've done in that area, maybe the the publication or the uh, the research that you've had and or expertise that you've taken so long just to get a PhD, then a postdoc, et cetera. Don't undersell it. Make sure that it's clear. Yeah, absolutely. And just to be clear, again, for those of you listening, we always talk about the importance of your audience. You know, we're talking about uh, this is talent acquisition in Switzerland. Obviously, we're referring, you're hearing the word CV a lot more than resume for for that reason. Um, And then the company matters too, right? Um, There are uh, big differences when you're applying to like a a Roche or a a Genetech for R&D positions versus others. Um, So just make sure you're taking that uh, into account here. So I, I want to I want to get back to and thank you for that. I know I veered off track a little bit, but I want to get back to. No, we're we're actually there already. We're talking about resume qualities. Maybe we can expand out a bit and talk about qualities just in job candidates in general. You said you know you're looking for in depth knowledge. You're looking for that they're they're really speaking to that exact position. Are there other thing, other things you can talk about in terms of skills, uh, especially in terms of transferable skills? Uh, so that's a bit broader and transferable skills. You know, I thought about this, um, how I, what I like to see, and this kind of relates and it jumps to step. So transferable skills, I would say, how should I say it? So once your CV or your resume is good enough or, 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 um, interesting enough, right? So I would say the, the resume or CV gets you invited to the party. Mm. And when you get to the party, you have to dance. So, <laughs> there you uh, go. That's a great way to say it. <laughs> now, there's a lot to be desired in that regard. So I'm, you know, hundreds and thousands of candidates or whatever it is that you see on a CV. And when you get, their CV is great. But when they get face-to-face, that's not the same person in a sense that, you know, I'm not telling you you have to be a cheerleader or or you have to be the, the greatest speaker in the world. Um but have a clear message of what you are and what you want to be or what you would like to do. Um, what motivates you, right? So that in a sense that transferable skills, I think, are not necessarily hard skills, but soft skills. So somebody have examples of how you collaborate and your leadership profile. And leadership gets, this is the big one, is confused with management. We do not mean necessarily management. We mean in your scientific expertise, everybody should be a leader in their field. What I mean by that is, how do you get a publication? How, how do you run your experiments and your biggest achievement or your largest experiment that was successful or failed? What did you do in order to come to that result? Um, we talked about motivation. Are you a quick learner? Are you an adaptive learner? Do you want to learn? Do you want to pick up new skill sets? And and that should be First and foremost, you know, it shouldn't be, hey, I can only do this one skill set. That's not bad necessarily. I'm talking like an instrumentation, right? So if it's chemistry, it could be GC, um, HPLC, um, you know, whatever it is, right? Try to be as expansive so that your value is increased as well. Um, So talk specifically about your technical expertise and what you can do. Can you calibrate a machine? Can you break it down and repair it? Can you uh, run it the best of them? Um, or are you more 
just reading the results. And I, and I don't want to be dismissive. I'm not trying to, uh, to to me that way. But of course, the more you can do, the better you look and the, 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 the greater value you are. So transferable skills are some technical, but a lot of them are, are soft skills and how you communicate. How do you express yourself in terms of your abilities and what you could do? Are you a leader? Tell me about your leadership because at the end of the day, you have to look at it in this perspective. If we have, say we have 100 candidates, just use a simple number, for uh, an entry-level role. And when I, I mean entry-level by meaning post-PhD. Hmm. Right? Um, it's an entry-level role. You're going to get at least half. So out of 150 that come with a great PhD, great school, good study, good grades, how do you differentiate yourself? Again, at the end of the day, I'm a human being as well, and I have to screen enough CVs to make sure that it's the right person, and not, not just me, but in, in general. Yes. So make sure your CV stands out. I don't mean putting it in red, bold letters and flashing lights and or graphs and stuff like that. No, there's a, a time and a place for everything, right? Mm. Uh, but on your CV, it should be clear and, and concise, defined in terms of the scope of your expertise, um, format and font are quite important too. Nothing so crazy where you can't read it. Um, there's a million of these websites, uh, sorry, um, these resume portals that you can look at. Um, I, I would say, and I'm trying to be as expansive as possible, but try to highlight some of these expertise areas. If, you have, if you've done some, some work in a lab, show what you did. Explain to me what you did in terms of your experimentation. Who did you collaborate with? Was it the professor or was it an associate in the lab? Either doesn't make sense. Doesn't it's not like one is better, but I need to understand what you did and how you did it. Yes, and a lot of important points there. So for the attendees, you heard a lot of different transferable skills and and their importance and how to tie them into your technical work too. Uh, whether it's problem solving, I mean, even down to calibrating or fixing instrumentation. Uh, you heard about collaboration, uh, leadership skills. Uh, important to work that in. I, I want to stay on this topic and just ask again, and, and maybe this is an even better way to ask, because I'm sure you have through, throughout your career, there has to be one or two like, you know, home runs or slam dunks, or I don't know, what's a, what's a European yeah. phrase? Uh, Goal in one. <laughs> there you go. Uh, where you just saw the resume and you knew it was perfect. Like, so, what did that resume have on it? Was it was there something that really stood out, or was it just happened to magically fit the job description? I'm just curious. Hmm. Yeah, I don't want to. Not. I'm not even afraid of giving it away. Anything, but it's more of. I would say you can usually tell right away. Now, when I say this, I'm tongue-in-cheek here, that doesn't mean that if your CV gets selected, you're getting the job right. again. But to get to the first level, it's usually a well-written CV where if rule of thumb is it shouldn't, unless you have a lot of publications, it shouldn't be more than a page. Now, scientists... Did everybody hear that? I just want to jump in. <laughs> All right. Did everybody hear that? So maybe you can tell me why. Yeah, so I would say, why do you need to have it so so long? Now, if you if you have publications, abstracts, uh, presentations, patents, etc., by all means, put them on there.
But if it's all fluff and you don't have that, that what we like to say is real scientific pedigree, I don't think that's necessarily something that we would like, right? Um, because we want you to, your, your science should be your, your calling card, um, generally speaking. Now, I would say a lot of it is, you know, where you went to study, what did you do? doesn't mean that you have to go to, I don't know, whatever, if you want to call it your definition of the top schools in the world. That That's not, you know, what I'm saying at all. Uh, quite frankly, we recruit from, if you would look at it, regional universities in Germany and France and Italy, Spain, all throughout Europe and, and the world as well. Um, but you better have done a really, really good PhD. And, and you usually see it because of the publications. Um, and I think a lot of it is the font and the formatting. So it should be clear, basically your objective, maybe some of the, um, then your, your education, you know, from bachelor's to master's to PhD, or if there's no master and you go straight to PhD, showing where it was, which country, what's the university, what's your, your grades, who is your professor, and then down there below, if you have a little bit of experience, show the experience of what you have done from a skill set perspective. So it should be really easy to follow. Um, so by fonts, you mean like not not Comic Sans, right? But like Arial. Yeah, Arial, Times New Roman. I mean, yeah. general basic stuff right. that is not so, yeah, so uh, cursive like, you know, it should be easily legible. Uh, so that anybody can pick it up and and, and, and and view it quickly. And now we've spent a lot of time on resumes here and everybody with PhDs, they get very interested when it comes to resumes because it's something we can do on our own, right? Uh, yeah. PhDs tend to be a bit more introverted. We like to write. But I, I want to just switch gears a little bit and talk about referrals, right? Somebody works at your company, uh, you know, the, the job opening becomes apparent. They have a referral from somebody who's internal that says they would be great. There's somebody on your R&D team in Switzerland. Yep. Current employee says, this person's great. What does that process look like? Well, the process is... Put is informally or, or what? Yeah, it's still a, it's a great question. So we see it, I would say, percentage-wise, 95% of the time, the person applies directly to the website. So no matter what, you have to apply, right? Right. Um, but if you have somebody in your network, by all means, contact them. Say, hey, John, Mary, whoever it is, I've applied for this role. Do you happen to know anything about the role or the, the, the hiring manager? If so, could you give me some advice? Blah, blah, blah. Here's the advice. Um, that, of course, that employee now might refer and, and send me an email or send the hiring manager an email and say, hey, I know, I know this candidate really well, et cetera, et cetera. But it may not filter to me. If it doesn't filter to me, okay, um, you know that's fine. I might learn about it later on. But what I would discourage is when you don't apply, and then you go through to the hiring manager and try to go the end around. Because not that I'm upset that you're trying to use your network, but it puts me out of the process then. Because if you come in later on the process, then from a compliance standpoint, you're not in the, the talent pool. There's there's a few legal... So you would recommend uploading... So you'd recommend if if you're getting a referral to get your resume, especially, and we've heard this before in a larger company, get your resume in the system as well. 
Of course, automatically. That doesn't say don't do the other activities, but yeah. get it in the system. So at least nobody can say you haven't even applied to the role and you're trying to, you know what I mean? Like go yes. around the process. And have you had someone like, let's say, you know, the head of R&D itself or, you know, somebody yeah. higher up in the chain come to you and say, you know, this, I, I really want this candidate. Um, um, from an external standpoint. So I guess, what, what are your interactions? Are, are you on site? Like how yeah, does yeah. I'm in the business. Like, so yeah. I sit within the HR colleagues uh, community, but yeah. we are literally next door to the, the businesses. And so I have meetings all day long or doing interviews with the candidates and the managers in the business. This takes us to the end of this Cheeky Scientist radio podcast episode that you have been listening to. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a review and let us know what you would like to hear more of. If you're interested in transitioning into industry, go to phdsgethired.com and enter your name and email address, and we will give you information about our PhD job search blueprint, specifically for PhDs who want to transition into industry, as well as our PhD-only 4,000-plus member private job referral network. Again, go to phdsgethired.com and enter your name and email address now. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.